Does red light therapy really work? Is there any point to a 10-part skincare routine? Does retinol really work? Is there a natural alternative to Botox? Are collagen supplements a waste of money? What do we need to do to slow down or reverse the aging process? Like what really works and what is just a bunch of hype and marketing? Today, you'll get those answers and more from everybody's favorite plastic surgeon, Dr. Anthony Yoon. I know you've seen him on TikTok or on YouTube. How could you not have? He's got 8 million followers on TikTok, 4.5 million subscribers on YouTube. I'm sure you've seen one of his videos. What makes this guy so different is he's known as America's holistic plastic surgeon. Yeah, he cuts people open for a living, but his true mission is to help people like sort through the hype and figure out like what should you really be doing and what can you do naturally and non-invasively to change your appearance. Dr. Yoon is the author of several best-selling books, but what I love about him, and I started watching him on YouTube many years ago, is he just has a very unbiased approach. You know, he's very honest, he takes an opinion, even at the risk of probably pissing off a lot of other plastic surgeons. He thinks about the patient first, and you're going to learn so much in this episode. So without further ado, Dr. Anthony Yoon. I am so excited to have like really one of my absolute favorite plastic surgeons who I've never met. Everyone's <laughs> I feel like loves you who watches your content oh, on social. You. So it's so great to have you. Thank you for being here. Honestly, it's my pleasure. One of the things I love about your content is you just take a very realistic approach you're very fair. I think people, they really, really trust you. And I'm curious with so, I'm sure you've seen all of these doctors who've made a name for themselves in social media. You've made a name for yourself in social media, but I feel like you've done so in a very different way. How intentional was that and how tempting is it or was it to like do some of the things that these other plastic surgeons were doing, the crazy antics, the, the surgeries and dancing while your patient's on the table, those kinds of things. Well, I think that the one thing that I've always focused on as a plastic surgeon is my number one priority is always my patient, period. And for me, the way I look at the practice of medicine is that when you start thinking differently, like you start looking at other priorities and your patient is not the number one anymore, mm. that's when you know you have gone wrong. And so for me, it's just, it's very simple, really. It's like everything I'm doing is, is, is there anything that I'm doing that's not going to put my patient at number one, especially if it's a patient who's undergoing surgery. I mean, when somebody's undergoing surgery, they are putting your, their life in your hands. And for me, I take that responsibility so, so seriously. Honestly, as a plastic surgeon, you know, I operate two, three days a week. When the pandemic hit and I didn't operate for two and a half months, honestly, I did not miss being in the operating room. And the reason why is because when I'm operating, I'm so focused and so focused on my patient's safety, number one, that it is stressful. Yeah. Um, because I'm always thinking, what's the worst thing that can happen? How do I prevent anything happening? You know, I need to make sure that my patient does as well as absolutely possible. And so for me, it's a stress. And I'm not one of those you know, there are surgeons out there who just love being in the operating room and they would rather be in the operating room than be at home. And that's like mm -hmm. not me because the entire time I'm operating, I'm so focused in making sure that safety is, and my patient is fine and that safety is a huge thing there. And so you know, when, what happened with the social media, it was funny. We have a common friend of ours, JJ Virgin. Oh, yeah. She's one of my business mentors. And one day she told me, she's like, Tony, you're actually kind of funny. You should actually put your personality out there. And so once the pandemic hit in March of 2020 and I had no patience, I had no money, I had all this time <laughs> and I had all these employees that I promised to pay. I was like, you know what? I'm just going to create content that hopefully makes people laugh. And if I could take them out of their the scary, lonely time that was back in March of 2020, then 
that would be a privilege. And, and since then, all the social media has just kind of exploded. You have such a creative, unique way of making people laugh, keeping it super entertaining, but very educational. And, you know, you just talked about like being so worried about your patients or your number one focus, especially when you're operating. That seems like hashtag duh. But for yeah. whatever reason, a lot of doctors don't seem to, no pun intended, operate that way. I think it's important to clarify that like even an exceptional plastic surgeon, things are going to go wrong even if they've done everything mm -hmm. right. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, when patients ask me, they say, Dr. Yoon, what's the worst thing that can happen if I have surgery with you? I always start off with, you can die. Mm -hmm. You can, like, you know, when you have surgery, there is actually a study that found that one in 50, you have a one in 50,000 mortality rate with cosmetic surgery. Now, that mortality rate is different depending on the operation. Certain operations, like the BBL, is probably the most dangerous operation. And then there are other operations that aren't so dangerous. But you, you know, really, you take your life in your hands whenever you have any type of surgery. But then I also tell patients, you know, at the same time, you know, you drove in to my office today, you could have been hit by a bus on the way in. So everything True. we do has True. a risk. And so whenever I talk to my patients about surgery, it's always weighing the risks versus the benefits. And sometimes, honestly, in surgery, the risks outweigh the benefits. In those situations, I just tell the patient, look, we're not going to do it, or I would really discourage you. I don't think this is a good idea. Well, I've been consuming your content for so long, and I remember watching a YouTube video. Of, this is the, like the video that I'm like, okay, I love him, where you were <laughs> telling a story about a patient who you had, I forget what where the injection had done. Maybe it was like under the eye or lips or someplace, mm -hmm. and she started to have necrosis. Yeah. And the yeah. way that you told that story and explained how that could happen to even a very skilled plastic surgeon, there are just so many factors that you can't anticipate. I felt like, your, first of all, your vulnerability, your honesty, and your transparency were one of the reasons why I'm like, I really trust this guy. <laughs> and I think, I think the internet like really, really trusts you. And so with that in mind, I'd love to just ask you some of the questions that you know my community still has. Because mm -hmm. I, I really feel like you have this unbiased, like, let me share with you both sides of it. So first oh, yeah. of all, do you think the days of the BBL are, we're going to see less of that? Uh, I don't think so. Mm. Uh, I think that really the BBL phenomenon, this craze that's been going on really for the last 10 years or so, has been powered by influencers and social media. And just like, honestly, there's this obsession with the rear end <laughs> that society has. And some people just aren't blessed with having much of one at all. Yeah. And so surgery, really, there are two ways to make the butt bigger surgically. Mm. You can do a BBL where you liposuction fat and then inject fat into the butt. Now, the reason why that is a dangerous operation in certain hands is because when we inject fat into the body, basically take it from one area, inject into the other. For that fat to stay, you need blood supply. New blood supply needs to grow into that fat to supply blood so that that fat can actually stay and, and be viable. And so what part of the body has the most blood supply are muscles. You know, and that's when we do reconstructive surgery. We often will we'll move a muscle over an area that, let's say, is infected because the blood supply will help clear out infection. Mm. And so doctors thought, plastic surgeons thought, okay, well, you've got these huge muscles in the buttocks. Why don't we inject fat into those huge muscles? There's a lot of blood in there. That's going to have that fat continue to be alive, and it makes less sense. But the problem is, is that with large muscles come large blood vessels. And if the fat goes from the muscle into that blood vessel, the way I describe it, it's like if you're watching Star Wars and you've got the Death Star and you've got Luke Skywalker who's shooting those two little missiles right at the right spot in the Death Star 
the whole thing explodes. That is like fat in your bloodstream. If you get fat in your bloodstream, it can go to your heart and your lungs and you can die within minutes. And that's called a fat embolus. And that's unfortunately why so many people who have fat grafting into their buttocks, so BBL surgery, especially if they're performed under people who are, let's say, in this like, I mean, there's almost like a fast food mentality in some clinics where you just bring them in and bring them out. Yeah, people are doing two operations at one time where their assistants are helping them so much and they're hardly paying attention and then people die. And so the way that you can do this safely, and I do credit the societies, the, the plastic surgery societies for this, is that you wanna inject the fat into the subcutaneous fat, not the muscle, but the fat between the skin and the muscle. It's very safe if you do it that way. And so now actually plastic surgeons are learning how to use ultrasound to see exactly where that cannula, that needle is, that injects the fat to make sure that you're injected into the right spot. But the key honestly is you need to have somebody who really does a lot of BBLs. I used to do BBLs here and there until all of this started coming up with people dying from it. I thought, well, I'm dabbling in the butt. Like I'm not like, an expert at this, so I stopped. And so you don't want somebody dabbling in butt surgery. You want to make sure that they are like an expert at butt surgery if you're going to have oh a BBL. Gosh. Okay, so let's talk about deodorant for a second. You know that I had been on the hunt. Thank you for your suggestions for a deodorant that was baking soda free, didn't have any parabens, had no aluminum because, you know, hashtag we're all trying to get rid of the toxins. Many of you had suggested Lumi. I tried it. I love it. And now they are a show sponsor. Lumi is different because it's a whole body deodorant. And they've got a stick and they also have like a cream tube deodorant. Okay. So here's the deal. This stuff is so safe. You can put it friggin' anywhere on your body. You can put it in your under boobs, on your belly button, on your booty crack, on your vajayjay, on your feet, like anywhere where you're like, okay, we just need to control some odor. That's Lumi. Lumi will take care of that for you. It's a first of its kind. It's been clinically proven to block odor all day and control it for up to 72 hours. I love that it was created by an OBGYN who experienced firsthand that BO is normal. It was just being misdiagnosed and mistreated. So if you've been looking for something that is aluminum free, like I said, you want something that's a little safer to use anywhere on your body, May I suggest to you the Lumi Starter Pack? It's perfect for new customers because then you'll get like the solid stick plus the cream tube deodorant, which is kind of nice, like if you're going to put on your feet or wherever. They'll also give you two free products of your choice, like their little mini body wash and the deodorant wipes, which are also really nice. And because you're a listener of The Shaleen Show, new customers get $5 off their Lumi Starter Pack with code Shaleen. So go to lumideodorant.com forward slash Shaleen. That will give you, are you ready for this? 40% off your starter pack. Check it out. I think you're going to love it. Okay, so what is it about, from what I understand, what is it that creates the difference in how long that fat stays when you're doing a fat transfer in the buttocks versus doing a fat transfer to the breast? Because a lot of my audience has opted to remove their breast implants. Mm-hmm. And I've heard from many of them who then did a fat transfer and like within a year or so, it's almost all gone. Yeah. So it, it does once again come down to blood supply and mm. the breast is not necessarily going to keep more fat 
or less fat necessarily than the butt. Now, when you have a, a BBL, typically people are not, you're not supposed to sit on your butt for like literally a month. Wow. And so there are special pillows that you use to sit on. You try to sit just like on your thighs instead of your butt itself. But really anywhere from 30 to 50% of the fat that you inject, whether it's in the breasts or the butt or even in the face, which I do a lot of that, uh -huh. will stay long-term. Now I'll tell you, you, know, you mentioned fat grafting the breasts. This is one thing, you know, one of the things that I, am very into, and, and you know this because you've followed me, is alternative medicine, holistic medicine. Yes. And you know, fat grafting to the breast is something that a lot of plastic surgeons really tout. They advertise it. But there's one question that I have with it that I, I think has never really been answered. And so when you're injecting fat into the butt or in the face, that's one thing. But the breasts are a cancer-prone organ. You know, one mm. in nine women will get breast cancer in their lifetime. Well, we know that fat is chock full of stem cells. So what happens if you take a cancer-prone organ and you inject it filled with stem cells? And let's just say you have a cluster of dysplastic cells in your breast, maybe just a handful of them, and they're not going to turn into a breast cancer for 30 years, okay? And let's say you're 50 years old, they're not going to 30 years. You may never even know that you've had it because you die of some other you know, cause. Well, what if you now have that cluster of dysplastic cells and you inject a ton of fat filled with stem cells around that? Well, stem cells are cells that are so young that they basically will turn into the body part that they are injected to. That's the idea behind stem cells. And so is it possible that now you could take somebody who maybe would have had a breast cancer at the age of 120 and would have never you know, ever seen it because they're not gonna live that long, but now they develop it when they're 60 mm. because you have just essentially supercharged that tumor. Is this a hypothesis that's been explored? Is it, has this been studied? Not that I know of. And I have brought it up at some of our annual meetings and people kind of shrug their shoulders like, well, it's a safe operation. Well, it's a safe operation physically. You yeah. know, it's not a difficult operation to perform and you're unlikely to have a physical immediate complication. But what happens 10, 20, 30 years from now? Wow. And that's, that's you know, so I do fat grafting the breasts very rarely in mm -hmm. situations where it is the only real option and somebody truly needs it. But other than that, I really caution women because I think as plastic surgeons, you know, unfortunately my field, we're, we're a lot about clout, a lot about money, yep. and a lot about these immediate changes. And yeah, you could see some great results in some people with that, but where are they going to be 20, 30 years from now? You know, I think that's a really Good question. I think social media has really, it's done wonders to educate, but I think it's also, in my opinion, I'm wondering if you agree, it's made plastic surgery look as simple as a before and after. You know, they just, mm -hmm. you know, people will create these TikToks with them like walking in on surgery day and then they're after. What yeah. do you think people need to know about, like, so for example, the mommy makeover feels like everyone is doing, wants, all the doctors are promoting it, which is a lot of surgical procedures at one time. Yeah. And th these are the TikToks that are, you know, blowing up and make all makes it seem like so simple. What do you think people need to understand who are actually considering that much surgery? So really every surgeon has their own belief of what they feel is safe. There is mm -hmm. no, you know, other than there's a few FDA recommendation. So for example, the FDA does not recommend you lipos you do more than five liters of liposuction at one time. How much is that? How much is a liter? 
So you know what you know what two liter of soda soda okay. pop is. Yeah. So you can do up to you know and, and one liter is half that. So you can do up to five liters technically at one time in an outpatient setting. Anything more than that, then they do recommend that you have blood products available, essentially transfusions. Wow. That being said, I know some. Pla I I actually was working with a plastic surgeon when I was training out in L.A. and he was up to I think 14 liters sucking fat out of a patient. And I finally was like, look, I'm leaving. Like, I'm not having anything to do with this. This is wow. like crazy. And unfortunately, there is, it, for some surgeons, there's a little bit of a macho mentality of like, well, I can do this because I'm that good. So for me, what I do is I limit my operations to about five and a half hours, uh, mm. period. I try not to go anything above that because the longer the operation, the higher the risk of getting a blood clot. And the blood clot is the thing that we worry about the most that, that mm. causes me to lose sleep. Uh, mm. Because a blood clot is a thing that will kill you if you get it. Not always, but it definitely could. And so if you're going to die from plastic surgery, the most common complication is going to be a blood clot. And what is the one thing that can increase the risk of a blood clot in pretty much everybody is doing a longer operation. You know, Now, for me, I draw the line at about five and a half hours. I have other plastic surgeons I know of who operate 10, 12 hours on a patient cosmetically, and they feel very comfortable with that. I don't feel that is safe, but once again, mm -hmm. there is no black and white line here. So, you know, what I would tell your listeners is, you know what, I've been doing this for 20 years, knock on wood, I've never been sued before. I wow. have had some bad outcomes because I've operated on thousands and thousands of people. But in the end, really what it comes down to is you really want to make sure that when you have surgery that you in some ways don't get too greedy you know you don't want to do you don't do too much at one time because that's going to be the first reason why you could develop a really really devastating complication i guess i'm going to push you a little further and say are, would you do a you know surgery that involved breast implants a bbl liposuction a tummy tuck all of these things you personally in one sitting so I today was one of the few times where I actually combined a breast lift with a tummy tuck on a patient. Oh. I usually do not do that because usually for me, a breast lift takes about three to three and a half hours. A tummy tuck takes about the same. So now you're looking about six to seven hours if we were to combine them. But the difference is this patient was like 410 and she didn't need the muscle tightening for her tummy tuck. And so her operation, we actually got done in I think four and a half hours. And so, and it wasn't hurrying. Like for me, I go straight through, I'm very efficient. But most of the time I would turn those down and I would separate them into mm. two operations. I firmly believe that it's safer to do two four-hour operations than one eight-hour operation. And the decision for so many of the consumers is money, right? They're like, oh, okay, yeah. if I have to separate this, then I need to find another doctor who will do them all together at the same time so that I can save on the anesthesia. But yeah. it's just one of those areas that you just, you, you don't wanna cut corners. And it's hard, it's, you know, for me, I'm lucky because I do have patients tell me that. They're like, well, look, then I'll go to somebody else. And I say, okay, that's fine. You can. Like, I don't mm. recommend you do that because I don't think it's safe, but that's up to you. You know, when I was starting my practice, there was definitely more pressure to cave and to say, well, if you really want that, you know, there's a risk here. Are you sure you want to take the risk? Mm. Now, honestly, I mean, I've got a two-year waiting list. I can just tell them, look, I don't feel comfortable doing that. And if you want somebody to do that, then you'll have to probably find a different surgeon. What integrity. That's amazing. You know, the, the other thing that's kind of interesting about your mission is you really focus on all the things that you can do that are non-surgical, which is kind of, it seems counterintuitive for someone whose profession is to operate. And so you've just written a new book, and this is something you've been talking about for a long time. First of all, what is the word autojuvenation? What does that even mean? 
Yeah, so I basically went through traditional medical training. We were talking about this before your podcast. So I went to four years of medical school. I said four years undergrad, four years of medical school. I did three years of general surgery residency, two years of plastic surgery residency. And then I did a year fellowship in Beverly Hills after that in uh, cosmetic surgery with a big name plastic surgeon. And really when what we are taught in throughout medical school and in surgery residency is this term to cut is to cure or the only way to heal is with cold steel and so when we look at surgery as surgeons we look at the certain operations as being prestigious you know so if you're a general surgeon and you are so lucky to perform a whipple this is a 10-hour massive cancer operation you are very fortunate to do that you know as a resident you would love to scrub into this 10-hour operation as a plastic surgeon it's probably the whipple is kind of like the facelift. You know, people may trust almost anybody to do a, a, a bit of liposuction on them, but you know, if they're going to trust you to do their facelift, that you've got to be really good. Mm. And so, for many years, I looked at my practice and the success of my practice based off of how many facelifts I had on my schedule. And many years ago, I thought I reached the pinnacle of success because I had people flying in from all over the country to have facelifts with me. I had a over a one year waiting list. And then I had a patient with a horrible complication from one. Now, it wasn't anything I could have done differently. It wasn't anything she could have done differently. Sometimes bad things just happen. And it really, honestly, it it sent me into a tailspin. And for a while, I considered quitting plastic surgery and medicine altogether because I was wondering, like, am I really doing the right thing for my patients when somebody can have such a bad outcome? And even though I did everything right, like, is this really the right field for me to be in? And so what ended up happening is I hit rock bottom, I questioned everything, and I realized that what I was taught was wrong. The goal of of plastic surgery should not be to bring people to the operating room. My goal should be the opposite. It should be how do I keep people out of the operating room, yet still make them happy with their appearance. And so Mm. I spent many years studying dermatologists, nutritionists, skincare experts, alternative medicine and holistic health practitioners. And I developed this concept called autojuvenation. And it's based off of five core principles. What you eat, when you eat, nutritional supplements, skincare, and non-invasive treatments. And Mm. I firmly, and this is what became my book, Younger for Life. And I firmly believe that by focusing on those five things, that the vast majority of people, 80, maybe 90% of them, can get skin that they are proud of, that they can be proud of their appearance and feel and look great and not feel the need to have to go under the knife. I'm gonna say something a little controversial. Sure. But you look at very wealthy people who can afford these things, and celebrities, of course, you look at a JLo and, and who knows if she's had plastic surgery, I'm sure you have an opinion or a suspicion, <laughs> but you know, but you just, you, and, I'm from Michigan, and when we vacation, we go to areas that are like, you know, really economically challenged, let's just say. And I notice that people who are, they can't afford those kinds of things. They just do look older. Do you think mm-hmm. that's part of the reason why celebrities and people who can afford and prioritize these things tend to oh, look yeah. younger? Totally. I mean, I think that it's different now because we have so many tools that we didn't have before. Even when I started my practice, anywhere near what we have now, you know, now there's so many exciting things we can do. We can melt fat without surgery. We can tighten up skin, you know, non-invasively, which we never could before. I mean, we've got Botox, which seems like it's been around forever, but it hasn't. It's only been around maybe the last 20 years or so. And then we've have a plethora of fillers and all these other treatments, you know, radio frequency, microneedling. There just is so much that we can do. And I think on top of that, we are realizing how much nutrition 
plays a part in the health of our skin. Because all of that is intertwined. And that's one of the things I try to put out there is, you know, is that your nutrition, the food that you eat, you know, the way I kind of describe it, somebody say people come into my office and they've got money in hand, they go, I want a facelift. Mm. Well, if you're looking at anti-aging overall in your appearance as building a house, the facelift is like the spire on top of the roof. Mm. The actual foundation of the house is the food that you eat. And that's where I try to encourage people to start because really that, even changing your diet, now it's not going to make puffy, you know, lower eyelids from fat go away, but it really can make massive changes in your skin overall. And so I think it's a combination of things. You know, it's no surprise that somebody like JLo, she's probably got a personal trainer. She's got a nutritionist. She's got estheticians, makeup artists, you know, it's not realistic for the average person to feel that they should look like JLo does when they don't have access to that team of people that are just meant to make you look good. This episode of The Shalene Show is sponsored by our good friends at Organifi. I'm recording this in the evening, and one of the things I love to do in the evenings is to wind down with a hot cup of Organifi Gold chocolate. It literally tastes like a hot chocolate, you guys. I'm telling you. It's a soothing blend of medicinal mushrooms. Now, hold on. It doesn't taste anything like mushrooms. I'm telling you, it tastes like hot chocolate. And that's because they use organic cocoa, a holistic alternative to hot chocolate, and it literally calms your nervous system. It also improves your immune system. And for me, I find that I get into a deeper state of rest. So if you want to try one of the many Organifi products, I recommend that you check them out. Go to Organifi, O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen, and you're going to get 20% off. As you know, I love a ton of their products. Any place where your diet might be deficient, like you're just not getting enough of that ingredient or you want to bolster your immune system, which is so important, especially when we're talking about hormone health, weight loss, your mental focus, all of those things, you've got to take care of your immune system. And Organifi creates the highest quality supplements most of which are in a powdered form, which allows you to just mix them with water, super convenient, all 100% USDA certified organic ingredients. And again, you get to try them for 20% off by going to Organifi.com forward slash I'm going to spell it O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash for 20% off. But what about the things people do have access to? Like, let's just start with food. What one thing makes the biggest difference? I, obviously, inflammation. But if, if we're talking to that person who's listening, who's like, what should I limit in my diet? So if I give you one tip, it would be to reduce the amount of sugar that you eat. So sugar causes premature aging by two major processes. There's glycation and chronic inflammation or insulin resistance. So mm-hmm. basically sugar. So our skin is composed 70 to 80% of collagen. And the way I describe it, it's like the logs of a log cabin. And when you're young, mm-hmm. those logs are new, they're nice and tight, that log cabin is nice and, and strong. But as you get older, those logs start to fray, they start to fall apart. We start losing about 1% of the thickness of our collagen every year, starting in our mid twenties, women after menopause start losing it 2% a year. And uh, mm. so what happens then as we get older that the collagen starts to fall apart, well, where sugar comes into this is sugar, when you ingest sugar, it will actually bond to the, fi- the collagen fibers, those collagen proteins, and will cause that collagen to become kinked. And that is a premature aging process. And those collagen, the collagen sugar hybrids, those connections basically are called advanced glycation end products 
or AGEs. So literally the, the, the sugar that you're eating will actually bond to the collagen and cause you to prematurely age. Now, when you look at the, today's uh, standard American diet, 20% of our calories come from sugar-sweetened drinks, whether it's soda pop or energy drinks or fruit juices. And so, yeah. you know, I'm from Michigan as well. I'm from a small town in Michigan. We'll have to talk afterwards and see <laughs> if we know. But, you know, all my friends, they're drinking soda pop growing up. I drank soda pop all the time. And we called it pop. <laughs> pop, yes. And even if you just get rid of you know, one or two cans a day, if you go from four cans to two cans a day, that's a big deal. And so what I try to encourage my followers is make these baby steps to improving your health. And at the same time, you are definitely going to improve your skin too. I think when we hear someone say limit sugar, the average person, it's just natural to go, well, I'm not eating cakes and cookies and candy bars and sugary drinks, but we forget how much other products like yeah. breads have are high in sugar and, and and I'm not suggesting anybody like cut out carbs completely, but you know, it is important, I think you would agree, to be aware of your if you're eating a low glycemic diet. So yeah, I mean, just like you said, I mean, you, the idea is not that you completely get rid of a macronutrient carbohydrates, but there are kind of good carbs and there are not as good carbs. And so ideally you want to try to limit the amount of the refined refined grains you eat. So white bread, white rice, white pasta. If you are gonna have that, go more with whole wheat, whole grain, all that, as long as you tolerate the gluten. I think that's really important because you're gonna have a lower glycemic index. You know, I mentioned earlier, it's two things. It's insulin spikes, inflammation, that the sugar causes the advanced glycation end process, but it also impacts insulin. Because if you get these sugar spikes by eating high glycemic index foods, that will cause insulin spikes. Insulin spikes can create chronic inflammation with time. And so really trying to reduce the amount of those types of sugar spikes that you get. So the lower glycemic index foods definitely can be very helpful. You mentioned that women, well, all of us are losing collagen as we age, but especially women yeah. once they reach that perimenopausal stage. In terms of collagen, you hear so many different opinions. Some people are like, oh, it's a big waste of money. And then others are, you know, big proponents of it. What's your stance on collagen? It's funny, there's a doctor who I follow on TikTok and he's a weight loss surgeon. An older guy is probably in his late 60s and he's got a big bushy beard and he speaks with a lot of confidence as if he is like the final authority. <laughs> and he made this video, TikTok basically saying, you know, if you're taking collagen, you know, it, there's no science to prove that it works. You might as well just take gelatin instead. And I saw this video, I'm like, oh, I so disagree with him, but I'm not gonna argue with him, it's whatever. And then literally several weeks ago, I saw a second video of his pop up. The first one was a couple of years ago. Well, it starts out the same thing. If you're taking collagen, and then he actually swipes the video away and he goes, I was wrong. You know, there are times where we look at the data and we learn from it and we figure out that we were wrong. And he said, collagen does work. So I'm a big proponent of collagen supplements. You know, collagen nice. is a large protein, okay? And the argument that some people have is that your body is going to break those proteins down, your stomach will break it down, and how do you know it's gonna to get to your skin? So if, you know, why bother taking it? Because you don't know it's gonna to get to your skin anyway. Well, the fact is, is this has, collagen has been studied a lot. Mm. There was a meta-analysis of over 1,100 people. This was published back in 2021, where they looked at, once again, 1,100 people. They took 90 days worth of collagen, hydrolyzed collagen peptides. Okay. And they found a statistically significant improvement in wrinkles, hydration, and elasticity of the skin. 1,100 people. Wow. There are also studies, prospective randomized controlled, placebo-controlled trials where they've taken people or they put them on collagen supplements for a couple of months, and then they've actually biopsied their skin afterwards, 
and found thicker elements of collagen in the skin. The skin is actually thicker afterwards. So there are so many studies out there. You know, when I hear so many times, I'll talk about collagen on my social media and people say, well, I asked my family doc and, and he said collagen doesn't work. The fact is, I think a lot of traditional medicine is just plain anti-supplements. And if you were to ask that family doctor, well, what studies show that collagen doesn't work? They will not have looked at those. Yeah. It's just that they're anti-supplements and they'll tell you it doesn't work, but not necessarily that they've looked. Because if they've looked at the studies, they'll know that it actually does work. And it's a shame that these kinds of things aren't covered by insurance. But uh, so yeah. I have a question about collagen. I take a collagen supplement and the company that I order my collagen supplement from, they have two different types. And I'm okay. always like, do I need the one that is it just marketing? Like one says it's for joint pain and the other one is for skin, hair, nails. Do I need both of them? Are they different or is this just marketing? So there are technically five types of collagen. Uh, type one is hair, skin, nails, and bones. Type two are joints. Type three is muscle. Type four and five aren't as important. Four technically is in the filters of our kidneys and type mm -hmm. five is placenta. So really type one, two, and three are important. So if you, let's say, have joint problems and you take a beauty collagen that's just type one, that's not gonna do you so well. Mm -hmm. On the flip side, if you take a type two collagen supplement, but you're hoping it'll help thicken your hair, that's not gonna help you either. And so that's what you really wanna take a look at is what types of collagen are in your supplement. The other thing for people to realize is that once again, collagen is a large protein. And ideally, if you're gonna take a collagen supplement, make sure it is that it says hydrolyzed collagen peptides. Okay. Because what that means is they've taken that large collagen protein and they have broken it down to individual amino acids or peptides to allow your gut to be able to absorb it much better. And that's super, super important. So figuring out what type of collagen is in it and then making sure that it's hydrolyzed collagen peptides, not just general collagen. Is there a product or a brand that you know of or that you recommend that has all three in one scoop? Like what, do I need to buy three? You know what I mean? So I don't know. I mean, and, and, can you uh, manufacture I mean, full it disclosure, if <laughs> Full disclosure, I do have my own Yoon Beauty Collagen, supplemental collagen. It's actually, I do sell supplements and skincare at my online store and Beautiful. that's our number one selling supplement, mm -hmm. but it is mainly type one collagen. Okay. Um, but you have, you know, I think when you're dealing with joints, I actually have a friend of mine, he's called the Bone Coach, and we were talking about collagen the other day, and he's a big proponent of collagen too. I think you have to keep in mind that your bones and, and the cartilage of your joints are all kind of, they work together. And so one of the things that he encourages his patients to do is to take both because, you know, he deals with a lot of osteoporosis and all of that. And once again, type one collagen is going to be the bones, type two, the joints. It may not be a bad idea to take both. Yeah. It might be a really good idea for you to formulate one product with both. And I'm excited to try your, your beauty collagen. I'll have to send it to you. I'll send okay, it to that'd you. be awesome. Now, you, you said there's five other areas, and one of them being non-invasive treatments. What are some of the non-invasive treatments that like really work? Yeah, so the first thing, the way I try to look at these treatments is bang for your buck. And so yeah. the first thing that I would recommend, if somebody is listening and they go, look, you know, I, I don't have access to a med spa, or maybe my budget does not allow me to go see an esthetician and get these treatments that other people may have access to, the first thing I would look at then would be a red light device. Okay. Now, red light therapy can come in a lot of different ways. You can get handheld devices that you can treat, let's say, a quarter of your face at a time. You can get tabletop devices. You can get creepy looking Hannibal Lecter masks <laughs> that you can walk around in. And there's even full beds that you can sit in. Nice. Red light therapy is fascinating because if you ask a plastic surgeon about red light therapy, you may be met with a blank stare because <laughs> they don't really market to plastic surgeons. And then if you ask holistic practitioners, they're all about red light therapy. 
The idea behind red light therapy is it is a belief is that the energy from that red light will be transferred to the mitochondria of your cells. And that will cause the mitochondria, which are the powerhouses of your cells, to create more ATP or more energy, essentially causing it to function more like a youthful cell. Now, there are actual studies that have looked at skin and the benefits of red light therapy and have found improvement in wrinkles, in skin hydration and elasticity after using red light devices. They've even done split face studies where you only treat half the face and have found a significant improvement in wow. wrinkles and overall smoothness of the skin. So I think bang for your buck. And if you are somebody who's definitely on a budget, the first thing I would look at would be a red light therapy device. Okay. The second thing that I would look at that's basically non-invasive would be dermal stamping. It's similar Never to dermal rolling. Yeah, so you, you know what a dermal roller is where you yeah. have these little rolls with pins on them. The problem with those is that you can get an uneven puncture of the skin. These treatments really, whether it's a dermal roller, microneedling, lasers, or chemical peels, they all function essentially to create a controlled trauma to the collagen of your skin. And when the collagen is damaged in a minor fashion, it will heal in a tighter fashion afterwards. Just like a muscle. Yeah, the idea of, exactly. Yep. It's this kind of hormesis type of an idea of where if you create a very controlled trauma to it, it will heal and actually be younger looking afterwards. And so microneedling does this by creating little punctures in the skin. The problem with dermal rolling that you can do at home is that you can get tearing of the skin because the roller isn't going to be an exactly even treatment every time. And so now there are actual stampers where you basically stamp your skin. Okay. And, and okay. I actually do it onto my scalp because my hair is wow. thin up top. And now you're going to get a very even stamping of it. But the, the key to that oh. though is you don't want to go too deep. Make sure that that needle is less than five millimeters long okay. because you don't want to create scarring or get an infection or something like that. Okay. And I'm sure we can go to a professional for some of these things too. So yeah, microneedling is best, best done in an office ideally. And this might be a dumb question, but are things like Botox and fillers, is that considered non-invasive? No, that's considered minimally invasive because okay. you are puncturing the skin and you do need somebody to do that for you. So yeah. I would consider that minimally invasive. And I think overall, those are great treatments. I mean, my office, we've done probably 20,000 or more treatments over the last 20 years. Very popular. Is there a natural alternative to Botox? <laughs> Not really. I wish yeah. there was. You know, it's funny because you and I are friends with so many kind of alternative medicine practitioners and experts, and so many of them, you know, you see it, they get Botox. Yes. Uh, and they even get filler. Uh, yeah. So, unfortunately, nothing works the same as Botox. Botox basically is a neurotoxin where if I were to inject a tiny amount into you, you would die very quickly from it. But if you inject the most minuscule amount of Botox into one of the muscles that create wrinkles of the face, it will prevent the transmission of nerve impulses to that muscle for about three to four months. And any wrinkles being caused by that muscle tend to then smooth out. And that's basically how it works. Now, it works for dynamic wrinkles, which are the wrinkles typically that are caused by muscles, basically. And those are the wrinkles of the upper face. And yep. so most common are the wrinkles behind the brow or between the brows then the crow's feet lines, and then the yep. horizontal wrinkles of the forehead. I would show you, but I, I had Botox a couple of weeks ago, so nothing moves. But I, hey, there you go. Sometimes I would get it around my eyes, and I hated it because I couldn't do this. I couldn't – so I was smiling like yeah. this. I felt like <laughs> dead face. <laughs> well, you, you got to be myself? careful. Some people inject it around the mouth to try mm. to get mouth wrinkles, and that's when, like, you can't suck on a straw and – stuff like that. So or other it's things. usually for us, usually it's very safe if you're in the upper face, but you got to be very careful in the forehead because 
if you inject it in the forehead, it can really change the shape of your eyebrows. And so if you've got, like you have a very nice arch to your eyebrow, you know, you can, you can do one of, Two things, if you inject too much Botox and cause your brows to drop mm. and have you look like you're like real Angry. tired and grumpy. <laughs> and and if you do it the different way, then you can actually get an arching of the brow and make you look surprised. And so yeah. you just gotta be very careful, you know, with the forehead, You the forehead is not the first place you wanna start with Botox. If you've never had Botox before, do not start with your forehead. You wanna start with the wrinkles between your eyebrows. That's usually the place where you can do it kind of the same in most people and they'll mm. almost always get a really nice result. How can we improve our appearance with, you said, timing? So when you eat. So this is something that a lot of people don't realize. You know, inter intermittent fasting is something that obviously is very popular. When you look at intermittent fasting from an anti-aging perspective, it actually can be very helpful for us. And it's because of the process called autophagy. Yeah. So what this means basically is that our cells are slowly accumulating intracellular waste products just from the act of it being alive. You know, there are organelles and proteins and even discarded mitochondria that can build up in our actual cells. Our body can actually recycle those proteins and use them for energy. And that helps to basically clean out this intracellular waste, allowing the cells to function more youthfully, essentially. But the problem is, is that this process called autophagy, which is recycling that intracellular waste, does not occur unless we stop eating for a period of time. So the idea is that when our body runs out of fuel, it starts to use the fuel that it already has, does that intracellular waste products and proteins to power them. And by doing that, we are actually then causing ourselves to function more appropriately, more efficiently, and more youthfully. But the problem is, is that our society is so based off of constantly eating, you know, and people will eat before they go to bed. They eat right when they get up. And if you don't give yourself at least 12 hours, ideally even up to 16 hours where you're not fueling your body, that will ideally then give it enough time for that autophagy process to occur and for your cells to literally clean themselves out. And so, you know, if you were to ask anti-aging experts, what one thing could you do that will help you live longer in life? The thing they'll tell you is to try fasting, is reduce the amount of food you eat to allow your body, and this is kind of relates to the hormesis thing, you know, putting your body under a little bit of stress, it helps to clean your body out, it helps to kind of restart these systems, and that altogether is definitely anti-aging. So we've talked about nutrition, we've talked about timing, we've talked about supplements, we've talked about non-invasive treatments. Am I missing one? Skincare. Skincare. Oh, okay, let's go. Yes. So yeah, so it's funny because if you were to ask our alternative health brands, they go, what would you recommend for beautiful skin? They'll tell you, heal your gut. If yeah. you were to ask a dermatologist, they'll say, use retinol and sunscreen. If you mm -hmm. ask a plastic surgeon, they'll say, Botox and a facelift. That's so and true. for me, the way, the way I look at it is the best thing is a true integrative combination. And so skincare, you know, dermatologists, that's a lot of them, that's all they'll talk to you about is skincare. But there's so much more than that. But definitely skincare can play a huge part. And what I try to encourage people, you don't have to do a 12-step Korean skincare routine. Now, okay. if you want to do that, by all means, feel free. But you don't have to do that to get beautiful skin. What I try to encourage people is to do something very simple. And we actually test this on people. It takes about two minutes a day. And after okay. putting people on this for two months, we actually surveyed people on, online. And we found that people looked about five years younger. So we call it the two minutes, five years younger skincare routine. Ready. Very I have simple. my pen. I'm ready to take notes. <laughs> okay, you don't even need to take notes. You'll remember this. In the morning, you want to okay. cleanse your skin with an appropriate cleanser for your skin type. And so if you've got oily skin, then you want to use a foaming cleanser. 
If you've got dry or if you've got sensitive skin, then you want to use a hydrating or milky cleanser. After that, you want to apply an antioxidant serum. An antioxidant serum, most common one is vitamin C. Bonus, if you have vitamin E with it, there was a study that showed that if you combine vitamin C and vitamin E, you get a synergistic effect together with their antioxidant effect. What antioxidants do is that they protect your skin from free radicals. Free radicals is one of the main agers of our skin in a process called oxidation. And that's why people are so big on antioxidants is because it fights this oxidative process, which is an aging process. It's like rust on metal, mm -hmm. essentially, but that's going on in your body. So you apply a vitamin C serum, ideally vitamin C and E if you can, otherwise vitamin C is fine. And then I do recommend a sunscreen, especially if you're gonna be out during the day. In the morning, that's all you need to do. Okay. Cleanser, vitamin C serum, sunscreen. In the evening, you really have to cleanse your skin, okay? If you only cleanse your skin once a day, make it the evening because you gotta get rid of the day's worth of dust and dirt and grime and oil, makeup. pollution, <laughs> makeup. A lot of people will double cleanse to get rid of that makeup. Um, you need to let your skin breathe and, and be clear of all that stuff from the day. And then I do recommend applying some type of an anti-aging cream. And the one that I usually recommend people start with is a retinol. Okay. Now, retinol is a non-prescription strength of retinoid. Retinoids are derivatives of vitamin A, and retinoids come in prescription strength, which is Retin-A, and non-prescription strength, which is retinol. Mm. To get Retin-A, you gotta go to a doctor. Retinol, though, you can find most skincare companies have a good retinol cream, okay? so. Apply that at night, and then if you want to, feel free to apply a moisturizer on top of that, but you don't have to, okay? If, if moisturizers are really meant just for comfort, if you've already got oily really? skin- Come on, yeah, I'm, if, I'm in shock right yeah, now. They're not gonna make your skin any younger, they will hydrate it, and so if you've got dry skin, then by all means, use a moisturizer, especially women, once you go through menopause, the skin does get drier and yeah. thinner, and moisturizers are very comfortable. But it's not gonna slow down the aging process and definitely not reverse it. Interesting. And that's all you have to do at night. I like that you've really, you, you're like, here, here's the most important thing. So yeah. the retinol and retin-A, I have to go to a doctor to get retin-A, correct? Yes, but retin-A is strong. And most okay. people, like I don't tolerate retin-A. Retin-A can really, for some people who've got thin skin, mature skin, dry skin, sensitive skin, it can be really, it can cause your skin to get red and irritated and flaky. And so my recommendation would not be to start with retin-A, I would start with a retinol. Now, if you're using a retinol and you want, and after using it for a period of time, you want to up the strength, then by all means, if you want to try Retin-A, then you could see a dermatologist or a plastic surgeon. But I would start with the retinol first, because for some people that in and of itself can be drying and you can get flaking from that too. Is there any harm in doing the vitamin C and E, doing the antioxidant treatment or serum in the evening? There's no harm in it, but it's you're going to be wasting your money to an extent really? because really antioxidants, the big thing is they protect your skin. They're not necessarily, I mean, you know, they can reduce a little bit dark spots and stuff like that, but in general, they are protective. Wow. And when you're sleeping in your bed at night, you don't really need the protection. That's you so know? great so, to hear. So saving your money, using the antioxidant in the morning, saving it at night so you don't spend it on that and use twice as much as you need. Same thing with the retinol. Retinol will actually be deactivated by the sun. And so there's no point in putting it on in the morning. Just do it at night and have it on overnight. That way your skin can have six to eight hours of uninterrupted, really anti-aging treatment to it. And the final step actually that I haven't told you yet is typically once a week if you have sensitive skin, twice a week if you've got regular skin, you want to exfoliate. Uh, huh. You can do that with a gentle scrub. You can do that with an alpha hydroxy peel. 
There's different ways to do it, but you do wanna get rid of that upper layer of dead skin cells. Because you know, when we're young, our skin turns over every six to eight weeks, but that process slows down as we get older and it takes eight weeks, 10 weeks, 12 weeks, and we start getting this buildup of dead skin cells. Yeah. That's one reason why our skin feels rough and drier as we get older. Now, when you exfoliate regularly, it actually sends a cellular signal to the deeper layer of skin cells to start turning over more quickly. And so you can get actually kind of a little feedback loop going if you exfoliate regularly. You know those little lady razors that you can get the peach yes. fuzz off with? Like yes. I love doing that. Like it's it, it yeah. because I see all the dead skin, would that be considered an exfoliation? So that's dermaplaning and that's yeah. a really popular treatment. I actually put it in my book as one of the at-home things. The, the two things I recommend at home would, three things technically would be at-home peels as long as they're safe. I mentioned red light therapy and dermaplaning. Dermaplaning is something we do in the office. We've been doing it for 20 years where we take a specialized blade and you essentially remove those vellus hairs and you can also exfoliate, get kind of a light exfoliation of the skin. And so this is something that's very popular. I mean, honestly, it's shaving the face. It's yeah. just a more elegant way to shave the face. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. true. In your skincare line, I assume that you are, do you have a peel? Do you have a retinol? We do. So that's our number two most popular skincare product is our retinol moisturizer. Our number one is our CE antioxidant serum. So that combines vitamin C and vitamin E. And do you have a peel as well? We don't have an actual peel. We do have a scrub. So that's what we have for okay. people to exfoliate with. Perfect. Um, but yeah, yeah. So I'll link to that for everyone below oh, in you. our show notes, because I think that's one of the other kind of confusing things for those of us who care about this stuff is you just are like, well, should I be buying the drugstore version? Is this more effective because it's $155 for a quarter of an ounce? Like, you know, yeah. and a lot of it's marketing. So it's nice to have someone who we can trust and a product that you put your name on because that means a lot. Yeah. When I started my practice and I was kind of that traditional plastic surgeon, you know, there are certain brands that reach out to us that we sell in our offices. And a lot of us plastic surgeons sell like the same brands. Uh -huh. And we sold a lot of it. And, we, and I saw a lot of great changes in people's skin. But I, for years, I had a secret that I didn't tell anybody. And it was that I sold, you know, thousands and thousands of dollars of these products, saw these great changes in my patient's skin. But I could not use those products myself. Because if I put them on my skin, my skin would break out in hives. I get a rash, I get yeah. itchy. And, and so there are sensitivities that some people have that I actually went from there. You know, So for years, honestly, I would just use water. I would use the basic cleanser and a very basic sensitive skin moisturizer. And that was it. And then I started looking into alternative and holistic medicine. And I started trying these natural skincare brands. And I was shocked because I could put all these products on my skin and my skin would feel fine afterwards. But the problem that I found was that these products, these natural products, when I look at the ingredients, there's nothing in there that was actually making my skin any younger. It was just, they were just moisturizing, which yeah. felt good. And so that's one reason why I came up with my skincare line is because I wanted to have something that was made with natural organic ingredients. It didn't have extra fragrances and all the stuff that could be irritating the skin, but still had actually scientifically proven components. And now I can use all the products in my own line. I, it feels good on my skin, which I can't even in some of the products we still have in my office today that we sell that other patients do great with, you know, I, there is something there. I think there's definitely, some people tolerate these products better than others. And for me, I'm just very sensitive. The book is called Younger for Life. I know that you have a special link that if people buy the book with this link, you actually have a, a discount for your skincare line. Is that accurate? I'm just double checking my notes. 
Yeah, it's autojuvenation.com, autojuvenation.com. We do have a $30 gift certificate. If you buy the book, we'll give you a $30 gift code. So if you go to youandbeauty.com, it will more than pay for the price of the book and skincare Aww. products or supplements or whatever. Because the book is, I think the, the actual list price is 30. Most places sell it for less and we'll give you a $30 gift nice. certificate for it. Well, yeah. That's a bonus. All right, so go to that link, you guys, be smart. Last thing I wanted to touch upon when they get the book, because we've talked about some of the concepts in here, but you really do go in far more depth in the book. And what Mm -hmm. I love is that for a lot of people, they're reading all this and they're like, but I need a plan. Tell me how to do all this. And so you have a jumpstart, if I'm not mistaken. Will that walk people through this? Yeah. So we have something, it's called a 21-day jumpstart, where really it focuses just on skincare, supplements, and diet. Okay, diet, skincare, and supplements. And really, for we, we test this out where we basically put them on this certain diet. We get a little bit of intermittent fasting in, in, in weeks two and three. So three weeks, two and weeks two and three, we incorporate a little bit of intermittent fasting. We basically get rid of a lot of the junk in the diet. We get that cleaned up. We really focus on foods that will help promote the collagen of your skin. We get you on a very good basic skincare regimen and some basic really good supplements. You do that, and after 21 days, we had just great results. Now, it's not like they had a facelift, you know, being realistic, it's not going to lift uh, droopy skin. But we had people where they would go out to dinner with their friends, and their friends would look at them and go, wow, what are you doing? Your skin looks great. Absolutely. And people lost weight doing it that that they didn't want. And they would even have, I even had a couple of them say that they had strangers come up to them on the street and say, look, I just need to ask you what your skincare regimen is because your skin looks so nice. I want uh, that. And so, yeah, in just 21 days, it's not that hard. I think really what it comes down to is this concept of autojuvenation is that your body has regenerative abilities. Okay. It can rejuvenate itself, but you just have to give it the tools to allow it to do that. And those tools are very simple. It's diet, it's what you eat, when you eat. It's very limited amount of supplements, getting on the right skincare plan, which literally can take two minutes a day. And if you want to incorporate some of those non-invasive treatments, by all means, but you don't have to. Wow. Well, this is remarkable. Thank you so much for being our guy. Thank you so much for sharing your time with us today. Oh, and we're you. really excited to get our hands on the book. So get the pre-order if you can. That way you can get $30 off. And after January, is it January 3rd? January 2nd. And we will be giving that gift certificate, whether it's before or after the book oh, comes out. We'll all right. Well, so then available. there's just only one place to <laughs> the book. I love it. Well, Dr. Yoon, you're awesome. We love you. Thank you for being a, you. a guest here on The Shaleen Show. Appreciate it. Thank you. Absolutely. Links to everything we talked about in this episode will be below in our show description. Please be sure to check that out. That's the place where you're going to get a savings on his book plus skincare routine. I also wanted to recommend if you are considering doing plastic surgery, I highly recommend that you make it mandatory to listen or watch the episode I did with the Nip Tuck Coach. I've also done another episode with the Beauty Broker Official. These are two gals in the United States who this is their sole focus is helping those of you who are like, I just don't want to pick the wrong surgeon. It is a really, really big deal. You are literally putting your life in someone else's hands. So don't go into it lightly. I mean, I think he made a really great point about how serious this really is. And he talked about fasting. If that's something that you want help with, I have recently done an episode about fasting and how it's kind of different for women who are in perimenopause and menopause. You can check out that episode. The link is in our show description. You can also watch that episode. I think it's a good one to watch on YouTube. If you're thinking about getting plastic surgery, you can't afford not to have somebody be your advocate, someone to find the best surgeon for you, the right match, and to do the vetting process so you know what you're actually getting. And lastly, do me a solid. Make sure that you're subscribed. I love you.
I mean it, and I'll talk to you soon.